Hello and welcome to Shoot the Hostage. I'm Dan. And I'm Sarah. We're a movie show that delves into a different film each week based around a theme. This season the theme is criminals. Like all good podcasts, this show contains explicit language and mature content, as well as major spoilers for the movie we're covering. So this week, we are taking a little bit of a different tack and we're covering an Australian crime film. Dipping our toes into Australian crime. We are. Something that they're very good at. They have yeah. been since like, what, the 2000s-ish? When was Romper Stomper? Oh, I actually want to say that's maybe 98. 90s. Yeah. 97-ish. But they've yeah. got a pretty good track record. For quality crime flicks. Yes, they certainly do, yeah. So, yeah, we are covering... Amer- no, we're not. We did American Animals we're last not. time. We're doing Australian Animals, otherwise known as Animal Kingdom That's this week. Oh, get there in the end. Yeah, this is a multiple-time watch for both of us, I believe. I think maybe it's only my second time. Oh, okay. I think I've only seen it twice. I actually covered it in my previous podcast and while researching this episode, uh-huh. I thought, let's go back and just check out, listen to about five seconds of it before <laughs> I just almost just, just got destroyed by my own just disgust. I was using a Zoom recorder, mm-hmm. but we forgot to switch our microphones on. So the only thing that was picking up our voices was the in- inbuilt microphone on the Zoom oh, recorder. No. And the, the sound is just awful. So I don't know what we said in that. <laughs> So disregard that. Disregarding all of that. It's ripe for a do-over. Yeah. Obviously, we are going to be spoiling the heck out of it. So before we do that, do you want to give us a little synopsis? All right, I can synopsize you. Synopsize? Is that a word? Uh, I mean, by virtue of the fact that you said it, technically it's a word, but I don't think you'd find it in the dictionary. Okay. <laughs> right, synopsize. Following the death of his mother, Jay finds himself living with his estranged family under the watchful eye of his doting grandmother, Smurf, mother to the Cody boys. Jay quickly comes to believe that he is a player in this world, but as he soon discovers, this world is a far larger and more menacing one than he could ever imagine. Jay finds himself at the centre of a cold-blooded revenge plot that turns the family upside down, not literally. <laughs> in this this series so far, we've done a fair amount of heist movies, actually. We have. Kind of by accident. Yeah. This is more of a... This is very different. Gritty it's about, um... crime drama family... Well, I think the biggest difference, and it's probably important to say this at the head of the show, you're right, we have mostly covered heist movies, but we've covered films that are about, yes, they're about criminals, but they're about a specific crime, generally. Mm, okay. Whereas this, there is, it's not about a specific crime. It's not like planning a crime and carrying it out like we've gotten used to this season. Yeah. It's more about the downfall of a crime family. Yeah. The Trials and Tribulations. Should we do a little bit on David Michaud? Sure. I don't know a great deal about him. I've seen a couple of his films. Okay. But give me what you got. So it's 2003. Oh, is it? it well, it is. <laughs> We're going back in right time. Right now? Oh, cool. It's to- <laughs> Can't say oh, cool when I'm going... <laughs> Look at those low-rise jeans. This is definitely 2003. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, Black Eyed Peas are on the radio. <laughs> 
It's 2003. David Michaud, he has a film magazine for a couple of years. He's a oh. film journalist. And he ran that from 2003 to 2006. And, and just some point during that time, he decides, I want to make movies. So he makes a few short films. And the first one to make an impact was one called Ezra White LLB, which came out in 2006. Now, I haven't had the time to go and watch that. Okay. But that was pretty successful. And then that led, led on to him doing the following year in 2007, a short film called Crossbow. Okay. Have you seen that one? I did. Yeah. I've watched that today. That one screened at the Venice, it premiered at the Venice Film Festival and it screened at Sundance and it won the Australian Film Institute Award for Best Screenplay in a Short. So wow. pretty successful. By that point, he's done a couple of shorts, but this is the one that's really gotten him noticed. And... Animal Kingdom is kind of an adaptation of that short. Oh, right. It's, it's not really, but you, you kind of, it's a similar vibe. Joel Edgerton is in it. He's not the same character. It's, it's not based on that family. Mm-hmm. It just feels like it could be in the same world. Like a spiritual precursor to Animal Kingdom. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I'd recommend go and watch it. It's only 15 minutes long, but it's just a, a nice way to get a bit of flavour on the start of his career and kind of where he went and how he ended up doing Animal Kingdom. Okay. Um, maybe I won't spoil the short here because it is like the feature. It's very bleak and it's very dark. I and like bleak. Uh, well, it's called Crossbow, so maybe let's put one and one together and, <laughs> you know, you can kind of figure out maybe where this film's going. I've got you. Um, yeah, and then after that, he's kind of off to the races, and I feel like maybe he's become a bit of a Netflix guy now. I, I, I watched half an hour of War Machine today, which, yeah. which I, I will finish at some point. But uh, yeah, he's he's done a few bits and pieces, and then obviously that he has had tremendous success, I gather, because there's been six seasons of the Animal Kingdom TV show, which has Americanized the, this you know iconic Australian film. Yeah. Which I, I, I can understand why they would do that because I, I, Animal Kingdom, I think, probably flew under the radar for a, a, a lot, a big part of the you know main movie going audience. Yeah, so and I can it, understand why you would. It's you would a do that. film that covers a lot of ground as well. There's a lot yeah. more to explore if you kind of eke the story out a bit slower, perhaps. Yeah, there's there's it's a very a kind of a lot happens in this movie. Yeah, and I feel like they're there would be like a, a reasonable way to really drill down into a lot of the nuances and things that were kind of skipped over or not really explored in the movie. Yeah. I think the movie's fantastic and I think oh, it's same. super well paced and it's kind of kind of perfect for what it is. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely an interesting world that probably warrants a bit more exploration. But unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to watch any of it. We were going to hopefully watch at least the first well, episode, weren't we? So I have actually seen the pilot episode Ooh. when it first aired. Because I was a fan of the film, I was quite excited. It's been a number of years since I saw it. I think it kind of betrays my feelings in the the sole fact that I only watched the pilot and nothing else. Yeah. So I didn't love it, okay. I will say. The cast was fine, but... I don't know, it just kind of lost the magic of the of the film. Yeah. As you said, the grittiness was yeah. kind of lost. Everything that's probably one of the reasons I I favor Australian cinema so much. They're not as polished as Hollywood. In a lot of ways they feel more 
grounded there's i enjoy a certain dark humor in movies yeah. as well and i feel like australians kind of get that more than our friends in america do definitely, maybe i dare yeah. say um or the people that make movies anyway yeah it's uh, definitely closer to the uk independent scene anyway yeah in terms of that sort of textured kind of kitchen sinky type vibe yeah yeah, like your your Neil by Mouths and your your Ray Winston movies <laughs> and all of that kind of ilk. Yeah, I, I yeah. kind of feel that. Speaking of dark themes, the film opens up with a, a death. That's the first thing we yeah. see. We don't actually see the death, just kind of the aftermath. Mm. Immediately introduced to Jay, who I guess is as close to a protagonist as we get in this movie. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's, it's one of those, uh, I talk about this a lot, but... I think opening scenes are so important for, oh, yeah. for films. Oh, yeah. That establishing shot, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's a really, it's an opportunity for you to introduce us to a character and tell us who they are. Mm-hmm. But you've got to do it quickly and kind of subtly, I guess. Yeah. But this is successful at that because, as you say, we see him sitting on a sofa and his mum has overdosed. Mm-hmm. We later find out. And he's called the ambulance and he's just kind of watching a, a quiz on a television while kind of talking to the, the doctor's on yeah. the telephone and he's just engrossed in this quiz and seemingly doesn't really give a shit about his his mum yeah the um like the banality of the game show on tv and his mother's heroin overdose right next to him on the sofa is treated with exactly the same indifference yeah and you're right that's so striking it's it's very telling it tells me that maybe well maybe this has happened before how many times yeah. have he, has he been in a situation and it's always ended up fine so why would i worry now yeah i guess maybe he hadn't assumed that it was fatal at that point a bit of that maybe yeah. but also he is shut off emotionally mm. and and that kind of we see more and more of that as the film goes on until he reaches his breaking point which we which we'll talk about later but yeah, it's a really good opening shot. And then after that, we um, we cut to the credits, right? Is it directly I after that? believe so. And then we get the... the Well, firstly, I'm going to mention the music, the excellent score. I yeah. just think is really, really good. It's incredible. It's so gritty and it just... Um, it feels dirty and grimy and it just makes me... I don't know, it likes it's scraping the inside of my stomach. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... You've got an itch in a certain part of your brain that you can't quite reach. Yeah. During that, the opening credits as well, we get flashes and pictures shown of what we figure out or what we assume are heists that these family, Mm -hmm. uh, the crimes that these families, um, this family is, come on, Dan, get your words out, (laughs) the crimes that this family are committing. And I listened to the the commentary today by David Michaud. Yeah. And he spoke about when they were cutting it, and they were putting the credits together. He was like, oh, I wish we'd shot a heist scene. Right. So they went back and they just did this thing with the credits where they just took pictures and stuff and overlaid that at the start of the movie. And kind of that's how you got a feel for the crimes they committed, the type of robberies that they, that they were doing. So I thought that was a, like a really clever way of, of doing that as well. Like a low, yeah. low, lo-fi version of what you might do on a point break or you know something <laughs> yeah. like that. You can't afford the actual proper heist. That's the next best thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not normally a fan of narration, but I thought that worked quite well in that instance as well. Yeah, the narration works here, I think. Mm. Um, and it's another good way of kind of getting you inside the the head of the protagonist. Yeah, um, Josh, Jay. Jay, Jay. Is, he's, he's referred to as Jay, so let's call him Jay. Yeah, I, initially David Michaud was going to call the film Jay. Was he? Yeah. Okay. 
Um, yeah, so Jay is played by James Fresherville. Yeah, Fresh, Freshville. Freshville. I'm not I don't know. familiar with this with this dude outside okay. of Animal Kingdom. I've seen him in a few things. I've got written down The Drop, which I haven't seen, and Stanford Prison Experiment. Yeah, that's like every young male actor ever. Right. Good film. Good film. Yeah, definitely good film. Intriguing concepts. Mendo's in this. Mendo. We haven't even mentioned Mendo. This is the Mendo show, this movie. Ben Mendo. And he is fucking great in this. He, he is... is Peak unhinged. He's unhinged, but he's not huge and, and massive, is he? He's, he's no, just, just quietly unpredictable, and, just and like, that's terrifying. Yeah, and there's some really uncomfortable scenes, which we'll get to, I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, obviously, Ben Mendelsohn, um, Dark Knight Rises, Rogue One. I think this was the second film I ever saw Ben Mendelsohn in after another Australian film called Beautiful Kate. Beautiful Kate. Okay, yes. I'm not familiar with that one. I forget her name, but female-directed uh, indie film covering some uncomfortable taboo subjects, shall we say. Okay. I'm not going to spoil that one. <laughs> is he in Baby Teeth? Oh, Mendo? maybe. Maybe. With him, is it him and Miranda Otto might be the parents? Sure. I don't, I don't I'm remember. doubting myself now, and yeah, I loved that film. Don't doubt yourself. You're almost always correct. <laughs> he was the sheriff of Nottingham in that 2018 Robin Hood movie. That was he really? <laughs> I know. Well, he got With Jamie Fox. He got really big around that time, and yeah. then like Ready Player One happened. Ready Player One, yep. Joined the Marvel universe as well. Yeah. So yeah, he's had quite a kind of stratospheric rise. Yeah, he's done a lot of work now. He he. He credits Animal Kingdom as the movie that put him on the map. He, he says, you know, if he hadn't done that movie, then no one would give a shit about him. Really? I argue that, you know, you are obviously familiar with him. Um, I, this, this Kate movie was prior to I Animal think it was Kingdom. just a year before. Right. Yeah. So it's around about the same time. Mm -hmm. But he'd been working since the early 90s. And okay. he, I, I watched one of those, is it the GQ things when an actor goes through their oh, most... Yeah. <laughs> The, all of the roles that they did and they yeah. talk about them a little bit at you and uh he's yeah he's been working since like the 90s maybe the 80s was it um am i right in saying that he was a an addict at one point i did not know that okay i think i read a, an interview years ago it's probably was he, he was in killing me softly right sure um i don't remember but yeah, I think it was around the time that came out and I read an, an interview and I, I'm sure, I, hopefully I'm not besmirching his name right now <laughs> and I've remembered that accurately, but yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'm always impressed when people kind of turn things around and make something of themselves. Yeah. I, I mean, and also like I admire people that admit to struggle. Yeah. And, you know, like Tom Hardy's another good example yeah, of that. Yeah. I think those people kind of lay the groundwork for many other people. You know, if you're in an industry where people kind of unfortunately watch every every step you make admitting to your mistakes and learning from them is even more important than to yeah. the rest of us i, I would, would would argue but um who else we got in here so joel joel edgerton, joel edgerton another really good actor he's fantastic warrior i mean Ugh. warrior is such a good movie yeah and obviously behind the camera as well yeah was it the gift was that his the bateman one yeah yeah that was i enjoyed that actually. yeah it was a it decent was. thriller yeah. yeah do you remember watching the stranger at the end of last year that netflix movie with sean harris yes the yeah drama. god that got under my skin that movie that was great that was really good yeah, yeah. that was really not a million miles away from kind of vibes in animal kingdom i would say it's, it's got that kind yeah, of similar tone yeah like different movie but just oh, yeah you know just that relentless kind of Darkness. Yeah, unease. Sullivan Stapleton plays Craig. He was in Gangster Squad and Darkness Falls. Yeah, he um 
he was kind of another one that was graft in a way. And I think Animal Kingdom kind of turned things around for him a little bit. Okay. I did read that he was doing building work and all sorts of odd jobs around that time. So right. this was a real turning point for his career. Okay. Yeah. And he was great as well. Luke Ford plays Darren. Jackie Weaver. Jackie Weaver, man. Smurf. She's great. Janine. Yeah. Brilliant. I, I am slightly annoyed by the fact that I do associate her with the disaster artist a lot these days. What is she saying a disaster artist? <laughs> I can't. I can't. No, because I refuse to pay that earworm forward. <laughs> I wouldn't do that to our listeners. <laughs> I'll suffer alone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Go on, say it no. just a little bit. No. <laughs> um, yeah, she got nominated for Best Supporting Actress uh in this and also in silver linings playbook apparently and she's she, brilliant she's brilliant she was in widows and i also have written down disaster artist and what is it she says in disaster artist i'm not doing it <laughs> i'm not a performing monkey <laughs> guy pierce plays uh lecky police yeah. man we all know guy Ritchie. Uh, guy, guy Ritchie. We, how God, dare you we all know guy pierce yes i'm i Deeply apologise for that. <laughs> LA Confidential, Memento. Yeah. I mean, that you could go on forever. I'm not going to list all of his movies because we all know who he is. And obviously, most importantly, he was in the finale of Neighbours. <laughs> that's that's what he'll be remembered for, yeah. <laughs> they got him back. They got him back. And, and then what, started making it again. Oh, do you know what? Like, when I heard <laughs> that Neighbours was finishing, like I, it was a Saturday night, I'd had a few beers and I just went to bed and I watched the finale, like an hour long episode of Neighbours. And I haven't watched it in 15, 20 years. And I was like, no, but I've got to watch the final episode. <laughs> and then about three weeks later, they announced they're bringing it back. <laughs> <sighs> because of people like you. They were like, oh, well, if it's this popular... Yeah, I'm definitely to blame for that. <laughs> Last one on cast. Mm -hmm. The lawyer in this was from... Oh, Dan Wiley. Yeah. From every Australian film ever made. Oh, I was going to say Muriel... Muriel... Muriel. <laughs> You're terrible, Mur Muriel. <laughs> Muriel's wedding. <laughs> yeah, those vowels sound too similar to me. <laughs> Just me going... Rrr, rrr. <laughs> yeah, lawyer. And he was... Oh, he was a... Scumbag. He's scumbag as yeah. well, wasn't he? Yeah. Everyone in this is just absolute rotter yeah there's not really a good person between them with the exception of maybe nikki and her family yeah like joel edgerton at the beginning kind of seems like one of the nicer ones but yeah he's one of the nicer ones he's also you get the sense of him being the leader yes yeah. certainly the brains of the operation because very much so yeah at the start of the movie pope who is who Ben Mendelsohn is is playing is not around. We're we're just in the suburbs in Australia. Yeah, Pope's in hiding, and we learn about this war that's been going on between the armed robbery police unit and the criminals, and that's why Pope's in hiding. Right. So yeah. So Baz is effectively the leader, and he's definitely the brains. He seems to be the nicest, the most level-headed, the most mm -hmm. in control, the cleverest, the smartest, and actually seems to give a shit about the people around him. The most caring. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because Jay, having lost his mother now, um, is taken in by Smurf. Is, basically, it's taken in by Smurf. Yeah. So he goes to live with this this family, the Codys, right? Mm -hmm. The Codys. Christmas with the Codys. <laughs> No, um, no, thank you. <laughs> no turkey, just smack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> I mean, as a vegan, I don't want the turkey. You can keep it. <laughs> as a vegan, I know which of those two I would go for. <laughs> yeah, so he's certainly the most caring. There's a scene between him and Jay 
at the diner mm. where he is showing Jay how to wash his hands, which is another yeah. scene which tells you so much about both of those characters, that Baz is quite caring and patient. But also demands discipline from those around him, which is why he's the de facto leader of the group. Yeah. So Pope worms his way back into the house when Jay is getting something from the kitchen and that's Ben Mendelsohn's first line in the movie is, guess who am I? And it's a perfect it's a perfect piece of dialogue for him to open. Apparently they did like 15 takes of that. I read that did as you? well. Yeah. yeah, he was apparently a bit of a stickler like for, well, no, saying he's a stickler kind of sounds like a negative thing. It sounds like he's a bit of a perfectionist, should yeah. I say, um, and quite hard on himself. Yeah. So he kept insisting on multiple takes, even when Misha was just like, we're done, you know, it's good. He was like, no, 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 got to do it again. Yeah. So I don't I don't know what kind of number of takes is standard, but 15 sounds like... I don't know. I don't think there is a standard. I do know that you've got... It's yeah. not it's not Kubrick demanding hundreds of takes from Shelley Duvall. <laughs> no, no, that's that's definitely like the rare, yeah. rare thing. Yeah. You've got um I mean Clint Eastwood is famously one taken done, he just wants to get off the set, yeah. And then you've got, as you mentioned, Kubrick or who else? I think Fincher might be one of those guys. Do, yeah, that would surprise takes. me. Um but yeah, you're right, Michelle was just like, We've got it, Ben, no worries. Ben was like, No, 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 must do this, must do this. But um, you know, respect Obviously, you're getting some really good takes out of that. And you kind of, you must get like a choice as well in the editing room. Yeah. What yeah. goes with what and you're seeing starting to piece together the complete picture. So maybe take four works better when you're looking at the picture as a whole. But yeah, it's a really good introduction to that character and it sets him up as you're not quite sure. Well, you know who he is, but you're not quite sure what his motivations are. And he seems a, a bit scary, but also he's part of the family. And you, you start to see how he interacts with that family. And there's yeah. a really good scene when I think, is it Craig comes in and says, do you, do you hear that? And everyone's quiet, you know, and they're, they're paranoid thinking it's police. And he goes, pull my finger. <laughs> then they have a little play fight and they, they slow that down and they proper zoom into them having their, their play fight. And that's a really beautiful scene i think in the yeah movie. It just tells you the, the sort of family dynamic that they've got going on here and yeah they all love each other which it makes it even more tragic even though a lot of these people are terrible people yeah most of them don't make it out alive but you feel bad for them i do feel bad for them with the exception of one yeah <laughs> i couldn't be happier who his brain's <laughs> being splattered over the wall um the rest of them i kind of feel like I don't know, you're born into that life, you know, you, you you don't necessarily have all of the choices that someone else might have in front of them. I'm not condoning it, but yeah. you, know, you can understand how people go down certain paths. I think the performances and the prep that the actors did really informs those, um, those kind of minute takeaways as well. Mm. Like I read that Jackie Weaver in her mind was like, right, this woman's got five, six kids, however many. And she decided that they were all fathered by different men. That was canon for her character and that they were probably all criminals themselves. So it was like, they don't know any different kind of. Yeah. And she doesn't seem like she was the most um, kind of supportive parent. I can't imagine her sort of going to I mean... uh, teacher meetings and trying to push him down a legitimate path. It feels like, well, I mean, the first crime we see in the movie is is incest. She's kissing... She just wants to kiss them all on the mouth. Oh, it's, just, it's gross. It's, it's bizarre. It's is bi that? Tell me that's not normal, please. Like if, if you. It's not fucking normal where I come from. Well, or me. But. I don't know. Is that a thing? I mean, if you're a bit 
weird, probably. <laughs> yeah. It, f- it sort of felt like, I don't know, I'm not going to call it like Oedipal, but like a bit of a control thing, maybe. I'm glad you didn't call it Oedipal because I don't know what that means. <laughs> Is that a type of cheese? <laughs> Sure. Yeah, let's go with that. Um. <laughs> it's um, it's a very unsettling way to introduce us to that character. Yeah. She's, she does it a few times throughout the movie, but it, it does feel like it's something, it, it kind of tells you a lot about her character. You know, you're in, you're, you're part of my family and she, in her own way, it feels like... To me, it feels like a means of control. You know, you read I about these you. women who like breastfeed their children till they're like eight oh yeah or something. I read about them all the time Deep, yeah. deeply weird um but you don't get the impression that she's sort of doing it out of a, a real it doesn't seem to come from an emotional place because i mean she barely she, does she even shed a tear when no. the deaths start piling up she doesn't really react emotionally and it's super weird but it feels like i don't know she's obviously benefiting from the crime's that are committed, but she almost kind of gets to keep her hands clean. So as the matriarch, she maintains that control over them all. That's true. Yeah. It so just it could felt be like an extension of that to me. Just a part of the manipulation and, yeah. and keeping them all exactly where she wants them. I think so. Yeah. yeah. That, 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 that rings true. So she made her own choices as far as those things are concerned. Yeah. That and really, it paid off. Yeah. That really works. It's probably a good time to talk about the first death, which... I've seen this film multiple times now and it shocks me every single time. I'm never ready for it. It shocked me this time as well. Because yeah. when I was thinking about this movie before we watched it and we chose it for the podcast and we were doing a lineup and I was super excited to watch it. It's like, yes, it's the Joel Edgerton one. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, he's great in this movie, isn't, yeah. it? isn't, it? isn't he nice? He's the nice <laughs> Oh, fuck. He's got a hole in his chest. <laughs> Yeah. I, I have the exact same sequence of emotions Shocked. whenever I watch this. Shocked. Yeah. And just just sitting there like, and, and the, the reaction shot from that we get of Ben Mendelsohn's character of Pope kind of says it all. Oh, he's shocked, mm. but he, at the same time, he's got to get himself away from the situation. So he's kind of running away, but also looking back at the crime scene and in his brother's death. And I think police have obviously taken out Baz because... He's the leader of the family. He's the brains, as we've mentioned earlier. So, well, I mean, my theory is that they've done that because they know that once he's gone, they'll just crumble. They'll unravel, yeah, and and, and it plays out exactly that way. Exactly what happens, and maybe there's a few things that they didn't predict that that happen in there. But yeah, that essentially the family just falls apart after that. It's a testament to, I think, Joel Ledgerton's performance in this movie. Oh, that he was able to make an impact with so few scenes. Yeah, exactly. Like we were talking about the scene where he's teaching Jay how to dry his hands. Mm. That was kind of the overriding scene for me. And also the one in in the supermarket where when he's talking to Pope about getting out of the game and getting into the stock market and he's trying to shepherd Pope Mm -hmm. down maybe a a more honest path as well. Yeah, his performance is so good that for the rest of the movie, I'm thinking this wouldn't be happening if Baz was here. (laughs) I miss Baz. Yeah. (laughs) And it sucks that he gets killed in it, but also just his performance is so good that I'm just missing that character so much, but not in a bad way. If we didn't like him, then it wouldn't have been impactful. So I can see why they chose... To, to kill him off. Yeah, it's, it's super shocking. And also there's an, also an element of, oh, I thought this was going to be the lead guy. Like, yeah, the lead guy's yeah. gone. All bets are off now. What's going to happen? And it's so unpredictable, this movie. Mm. It's one of the things that while I was watching the first time around, I had no idea where it was going. Yeah. 
can we just stop a brief moment? Because I'm a little yeah. bit grey on the legalities of taking <sighs> out an unarmed man in broad daylight. Can police do that? Um, I don't think that it's legal to execute someone. No. That is unarmed and not currently a threat. I mean, I guess they had enough proof that he was kind of the brains of this big criminal, you know, this wider, larger criminal operation. But that seems, um, I don't know, a little bit careless. It's, I don't know. I guess you would kind of have to read between the lines a bit and assume that they've covered it up somehow. They've maybe placed a weapon on him. Right. Or maybe they've exhausted all of the legal channels trying to get them. And they view this as the only, the last resort, perhaps. Well, we already learned earlier on in the movie that the that uh, faction of the police are willing to go mm. down darker paths and take illegal measures because they'd already done this before. They started taking people out. But I don't know, like, I don't know how they get away with it. No. <laughs> but don't think about it. That's what No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> we, we've finished with cops season. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's, it's one of, actually, we, we've spoken about this a few times. We did cops in, in season one and criminals in season two. And I would say out of all of the movies we've done, this one, the cops and the criminals, there's such a thin layer between them. Yeah. They're almost the same. With the exception of Guy Pierce. With the exception of Guy Pierce. Are we to assume that he's a clean cop he's not i think corrupt so. in any way i read a bit about this actually and michaud and guy pierce were talking before the film went into production and they both independently had the idea that because the character was supposed to be quite an old-fashioned policeman they both insisted he had to have a mustache right obviously yeah <laughs> How else would we know who was a cop? Yeah, they they both kind of arrived at the same place independently. So it was sort of a no-brainer for his character and motivations. So he's just a good guy? Uh, yeah, that's the impression I get. Okay. Yeah, he's I, he is clean. I wasn't sure. No, I, that's not a criticism. I liked that I wasn't sure. Yeah. I, I thought that that was good because it's kind of irrelevant. We know that there mm. are some really greasy cops in this world and there is obviously the criminals as well have got their own things going on. But he was he felt like a nice kind of almost a go-between. Yeah. Like a, like a, almost like a kind of a neutral person in this. He just wants... He was the ambassador that just wanted everyone to get along. Yeah, and he tries to engineer the downfall of the family. But obviously after crimes have been committed, because Pope, after seeing his brother get murdered, he goes back to the family and he's trying to recruit the rest of the family, Craig and Darren. You know, we've got to get some revenge here. We've got yeah. to we've got to do something. What do you think Baz would do if he was here? And he Not just, be that reactionary he is wouldn't. the answer. <laughs> but that's the thing, isn't it? He wouldn't yeah. do that. But because Pope's here now, that's what we're going to do. And this is how yeah. we're going to operate now. So he, he um, manipulates... Darren, he has a conversation with him about, I just want you to be honest with me, mate. You know, you just got to talk to me, mate. And then he pushes them into murdering some police officers, which we, that's the, we only see them once, don't we? I think it's not like they were the police that did the murders in the first place. They were just two random beat cops. Yeah. They just wanted to get the point across. It wasn't a true kind of vengeful moment. It was just, we've killed one of ours. We're going to take out two of yours. Which makes it even more sinister yeah because it's you know two maybe completely innocent police officers got families that have just gone out they've got a night shift and they've been murdered for Mm -hmm. no reason yeah so it's brutal and things just continue to get crazier and crazier really uncomfortable scene with jay's girlfriend oh right i wondered where you were going to go because there's quite a few 
uncomfortable scenes in this. Yeah, there there are many. I think yeah. for me, there are two scenes in this that make me really uneasy. Okay. And the first one is when Pope carries Nikki to the bedroom, puts her down, and he's just... Purely for altruistic reasons, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, well, he just stands at the end of the bed and he brushes her hair a bit and you just think, you're standing there a bit too long, yeah. mate. You should not be staring at this... I guess she's a child. I guess she's like 17, 18, well, yeah, Jay sort of age. He's 17, right? Yeah, I think so. I so I assume they're the same age. I would assume so. And then Jay comes in and says, you know, and Pope says, you know, she's beautiful, mate. And just, no, 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 no. no. Mm. And you just wonder what might have happened in that scenario had Jay yeah. not come in. Well, I dread to think. Yeah. I think well, we both know, but yeah, I think we do. About. I think we do. But it's really, again, it's really subtle, uneasy. Um, an uneasy performance by Mendelssohn in, in that scene. Yeah. And it just gets that ick factor, which you said earlier, just it gets straight under your skin. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of, I guess it kind of primes you as well for what's to come later. He's so good in this role. He's he's too good at being like this unpredictable antagonist. Yeah. He's kind of the opposite in many ways to his character in Rogue One. is Because he's quite yeah. big in Rogue <laughs> One, but he's a big villain. He's a middle, middle management villain. <laughs> Uh, as which Mendo describes him as. Um, but he's quite big and chewing the scenery quite yeah. a lot. In this, I wouldn't say he's chewing the scenery. He's he, he has quirks, and I've not seen a performance like this before, but it's quite subtle. It's weird because it's, it's both over the top and perfectly understated at the same time. And I don't quite know how those two things are possible in tandem, yeah. but they really are. And I suppose the peak of uh, his despicable character is when he's alone with Darren and with Nikki. Oh, God, right? yeah. Because he, I guess he's worried that Nikki's going to be talking to the police. Mm-hmm. Or thinks that she already has. Thinks that she already has. Is that before or after? Uh, I forget their names. You know, I'm terrible with character names, but Sullivan Stapleton's character. Is that before or after he gets mm, off? Good question. I don't know. But yeah, so I mean, we can talk about that a little bit first if you want. Well, yeah. I mean, if we're counting Jay's mom, Smurf loses two of her kids in the first half hour mm. and doesn't react emotionally at all. Yeah. But yeah, they're just kind of picked off. <laughs> Yeah, he's kind of murdered as well, isn't he? Because he's yeah. carrying a gun and he does fire off a shot, I think. Mm-hmm. But he's in full like conspiracy theory mode at that, that point, isn't he? He thinks yeah. that the police are everywhere and everywhere's being bugged. And it is, he's right. And he's really gone down a, a, a rabbit hole of drugs and just paranoia. Because those two things are perfect yeah. companions. <laughs> but he's, he's trying to sort of get through this scenario and also he's also grieving the death of his his brother Mm. so he's kind of just fallen way off the cliff and he gets murdered by these policemen while he's running away they just shoot him yeah um yeah that's that's as you say that's son number two that's dead and and janine doesn't really react an awful lot it's weird because the the children kind of grieve one another they have quite a like fraternal bond yeah but she she just never i don't know i keep coming back to this but it's such a peculiar performance it's yeah. brilliant she is absolutely brilliant but it's it's a curious choice yeah it is and she says later on in the film that you know you do things that you don't want to but you do them because you have to and i yeah. get the sense of that's just always been the way the way that it's been for her growing up she probably grew up around crime herself and had to manipulate and control just to survive and that's just kind of carried on i guess and she's 
paid that forward to her children. So do you think it's almost like she kind of expects it in a way, sees it as a bit inevitable? I think so. Like that's the risk you take? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And it's just like a, a, a bit of like, it's business, you know, this yeah. is the game we're in. We're all, It's a risk for all of us. You all know the risk. Damn, that's yeah, cold. Cold, it's cold. But um, but yeah, so going back to when Pope uh, is sitting in the living room with Darren and he offers Nikki some, I assume, heroin and he injects her with the heroin and she kind of gets high off that. And then mm. he... Well, he's trying to get the truth out of her because she's saying she hasn't spoken to the cops, but he doesn't quite believe her. Yeah, uh, but I think he's going to kill her anyway. I think he you just... You think that was his plan? I think so. Yeah. I, I think he's just... Uh, maybe he gets off on murder in some way. I think he just wanted to do that. So when Jay finds out about Nikki being murdered, he, he runs to her parents' house, who seem quite nice and certainly the most normal and you know <laughs> i mean in this film yeah definitely yeah. the most well adjusted yeah the most well adjusted definitely and that is the that's the jay's breaking point that's when you see some emotion from him and apparently mm. they did a few takes of this as well but they went for the one that had real emotion because most of the movie he's very subdued yeah kind of emotionless i guess maybe in the same way that jackie is you know just they jackie janine rather jackie weaver maybe in that similar way in that they've had to kind of protect themselves yeah i mean i'm guessing that his mum's overdose wasn't like the first time she'd ever done drugs. No. So he's probably been around some nasty stuff for a while. Yeah. And, and also he probably grew up with that family when he was younger. I think we hear through some, from, through some dialogue at the beginning of the movie, but I get the sense that his mum had tried to pull him away yeah. from that family. Um, and but- actually going back to the narration, that sort of informs his performance a lot as well because normally with a narration in this kind of film you'd have the character being like quite glib or smart and he's just a dumb teenager who is in way over his head yeah he's just a kid who's just learning how to survive and just get through day by day survive this crazy family in this dark world that he's in he's caught up in by no fault of his own he's got nowhere else Mm. to go and he just does his best but when he finds out that nikki has been murdered by pope he loses it and he just kind of just starts crying in her parents house in the bathroom and that's the first time you see some real emotion from that character but it, it works in the context of the film so much because as we've said what you see before that is him being a bit subdued and pushing his emotions down yeah being a bit closed off and that's his breaking point and that's when he he's playing for ultimate survival at that point i guess it's proper haunting that scene in the bathroom yeah it is and there's some like f- like face snot stuff going on as well <laughs> which makes me a bit icky <laughs> This film is icky in many ways. <laughs> oh, you're so precious. Yeah. So after he learns about Nikki being murdered, what happens then? Does he go to Lecky? Yeah, he, he kind of... I don't know how much he tells the cops. We, we never really find out exactly what information he's given them, but there's obviously been some sort of deal brokered whereby Lecky is kind of looking after him because he's, yeah. he's kind of put in a safe house, isn't he, with a, a couple of people That's protecting right. him. Yeah, Lecky tells him about the trees and the bugs and the bush yeah. and what, are, what type of creature are you and all of that stuff. Mm. Yeah, that's right. And he's in this safe house, as you say, but it turns out that Jackie, Jack, I keep saying Jackie. Um, <laughs> Smurf. Smurf. <laughs> Smurf has put a hit out on her grandson, Cold-hearted biatch. Yeah, cold. Jay's not <laughs> safe at all. So he goes back to Smurf and makes a deal with Smurf. So they kind of engineer a scenario between them where it looks like he's pressing charges, 
but his story is not watertight. There are holes yeah. in his story mm-hmm. so that Pope and Darren get off. I really enjoyed that scene in the art gallery as well, where they're having that conversation, the two lawyers, Jay and Smurf, and they're all chatting about what they're going to say in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really well done. And in the commentary, David Michaud mentions about he was going to have, he was considering having a court scene, but he didn't really want to do a traditional court scene. Number one, he didn't want to dress a set and he didn't want to fill it full of extras. So it was a cost saving <laughs> exercise, I guess. But also, he said, you know, in the context of a court, you're just seeing the argument presented as you would if you were the jury. Whereas yeah. in this setting, you can see the rehearsal and you can kind of see the mechanics of the deception. I really appreciate that. That's interesting to know whether that was driven by financial decisions or otherwise. I I really do appreciate that because I think courtroom drama stuff can can sometimes be a little bit dry as well. Yeah, they can be. And you don't want it to, I don't know, undermine everything that's come before it. Yeah. It's a setting and a way of doing that kind of scene I've never seen before Mm, in an art gallery, which is a very interesting choice as well. The third act is... I would argue the most unpredictable of the entire film. You know how you were saying like you couldn't predict anything that was coming? Yeah, none none of it. No. Like up until the very end, I was shocked. I I had a suspicion when you see Jay on the bed, he's like, oh, I'm going to go to my room. And you see him on the bed. I was like, oh. I had no idea. (laughs) No idea. And then, of course, he blows his uncle away. And that's, again, that's... That's super interesting the way that it was done because, uh, and again, I'm going to go back to the commentary on the, on the <laughs> Blu-ray. Michaud said that he'd conceived maybe that Jay would go in there and he would shoot Pope in the face while he's cooking on a barbecue. Right. Australians love barbecues. <laughs> don't, don't forget that. And he thought that maybe that would be quite a fitting end, but then maybe this end fitted better I because think so. Jay is not just murdering someone for the sake of it he's doing it because he feels like he has another choice yeah and he doesn't necessarily want to do it but he feels like he has to and he doesn't want anyone else to see it he doesn't want smurf to see her son murdered so he brings it away from from mm-hmm. those two and he does it in private it's it, the last words that ben Mendelssohn says is it's a crazy fucking world I think, yeah <laughs> and then his brains are just splattered all over that mattress yeah. that's propped up against the wall because we the viewer are just seeing mendo at that point yeah we don't even see jay we don't see what's happening we just see the retribution yeah. and the aftermath and it's so perfectly excuse the term executed yeah <laughs> i see what you did there <laughs> unintentional but yeah. yeah one take as well this one was it yeah they got okay it yeah super well done he comes out he puts the gun on the side and he goes to comfort smurf goes to comfort and she smurf. that's the first time she shows any true emotion yeah i was gonna say that out, out of all of the family members that have met their demise throughout the movie that's the first one where it looks like she's showing true emotion maybe it's because pope's the oldest Maybe it's yeah. because she knows that all she has left now is Darren and maybe it's a bit of a <laughs> Darren's selfish Darren's a bit thing. of a wet wipe. <laughs> yeah. Um, or maybe, she, you know, she's wondering about her income stream now as well. And yeah. so there's many different things, many different ways that you can read her being emotional in that scene. I cannot 
picture a better ending. It's got to end that way, hasn't it? it yeah. You can't put a nice little bow on it. Everyone goes off and, well, we're all going to just be happy together now. No, like, I mean, it's it's obvious it's not that kind of film from frame one. And and given the crimes that Pope commits in a movie, you have to, he has to go. Like yeah. it, what he's done is unforgivable. Yeah, it has to end that way. It's such a dark movie. And all we've got left is, or who all Smurf has got left is Jay and, and Darren. So I don't know where it's going from here. I mean, if there's going to be animal kingdoms. I, um, I hope not. No. I like this film as it is. I like that we have the opportunity to speculate. Mm. I, I prefer that. Mm. I love that it's kind of open-ended. Well, it is and it isn't. Jay's story has kind of come full circle. I mean... There's probably more that you can explore in that that character is relatively young. It may be interesting to see what kind of path he goes down, whether he chooses to remain in the shadow of Smurf and continue that crime, or if he decides to, when he can, get out on his own and, and, and live a more uh, honest life, maybe. But certainly in terms of the movie, it's it's a complete story. Yeah. And, well, everybody's dead, you know. So. <laughs> you know, Mendo's gone, Joel's gone. If you're getting a, doing a sequel, you're not going to get those guys back. So let's not let's not do it, maybe. Nah, just don't bother. Yeah. What? Did you know the the first cut of the film was originally 155 minutes long? That's long. That is long. <laughs> That's nearly what's that? Two and a half hours. I'm not going to lie. I would like to see that cut of the film. I would watch it. Yeah. But there's something about this. It was one hour fifty minutes. I think, mm-hmm. but it's super well paced. It just it is, kind of yeah. just barrels along and just once it gets going, it just goes and goes and goes and goes and escalates and escalates. I think a one hour, 50 minute version of this movie is the correct version of this okay. movie. But I, I would watch it. You know, we yeah. watched a three hour cut of Midsummer, and, and maybe after that I would continue to watch the theatrical one because yeah. it's a bit shorter. But I did get quite a lot out of that three hour cut and just get more Easter eggs and more of the performances. I'm always um, curious about director's cuts. I know some of them can swing completely in the wrong direction. I get that. Sometimes you need a fresh pair of eyes to come in and chop out stuff that you want to keep in because you care about it, but don't actually serve the story. Yeah. So I appreciate that angle, but... Yeah, director's cuts do intrigue me. I wonder what kind of footage was cut out. I know that there was yeah. some stuff with Joel Edgerton's partner in the movie that was filmed after Baz's death. Okay. But they took that out, specifically her scenes, because they just wanted to keep the film rolling and, and focused on the family and keep that pacing going. Yeah. But I don't know what else they would have what they would have filmed. Okay. So this film kind of we talked a little bit about how it stands apart from the other films that we've covered this season i can't really think of too many crime films too many thrillers where there's like a matriarch that's in charge goonies all right so <laughs> the fratellis besides mama fratelli <laughs> do you know what i mean though it's not a common trope and I like that that gets explored a little bit here. It was interesting. It was an interesting dynamic. It was yeah. gross in places. I don't care to see a grown woman kiss her adult sons on the mouth. Yeah. But it was interesting. I'll give it that. It was interesting. Yeah. And it was. It, it gave you so much without telling you so much as well. There's potentially a lot of there. When you mentioned about different fathers and mm. all of that stuff, that's a whole other life yeah. there. 
that you're kind prior of, to the events of the film yeah that are ju- just kind of providing a baseline for you while you're sort of consuming and watching this movie mm-hmm. yeah it's it's a it's i can't think of you said that about matriarch head of a crime family and i, I can't think of can't think of any others apart from the Goonies. There aren't really any direct comparisons that I can make, no. which is unusual. Do you know what the ending of this movie made me think of? Okay, go on. Um, it's the usual suspects a little bit. I okay. haven't seen that in forever. And no, it's a complete, I haven't. It's a completely different movie, but just a little bit of like everyone underestimated this guy. Um, no one, the devil is maybe hiding under a cup. And you don't know about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what he says in that movie. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that man of which we shall not speak. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Obviously, completely different movie. I just, while I was watching it, I just <laughs> thought of the part where he, the end of the movie, and oh, I was the baddie. Okay. Um, spoilers for usual suspects. <laughs> and I, I just had this plan going on the whole time that you didn't really know about. I don't think Jay had the plan going on the entire time, but I just feel like that character was so grossly underestimated by yeah. every, all of the characters in the film. It's always the quiet ones. And by me as well. Like, I was yeah. not expecting that at the end of the movie. Think, you clever little bastard. Because he is so unassuming and just ineffectual, yeah. I guess. So it, it's natural to underestimate him. Yeah. He seems like one of life's victims. Yeah, but I think that's, you know, that's his character is he, he can kind of see a lot more than everyone gives him credit for. Yeah. But he doesn't transmit that he doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. tell people that he just takes everything in and he has his own thing going on and he's got this information should he need it yeah i, just I think like that's that. a super interesting way to play a character like that um what else did i think of i thought of um we mentioned the british kitchen sink dramas but also i, I was thinking uh, like the guy richie's the lock stock and two smoking barrels do you think I mean, it's obviously completely different, but just that kind of crime capery sort of, it's not really a caper, this one. Forget I said anything. <laughs> forget it, all right? You're just going off my just puzzled expression. Forget it. Forget no, I, th- I, no, no, no. If that's, if that's what you think, that's fine. I wouldn't have made that connection personally. But- yeah, just, and I don't know, maybe I, I think... In England, we had a bit of a, in the late 90s, we started to make quite a lot of crime films because of mm-hmm. things like Lockstock were super popular and made for a minuscule budget and were super popular. I feel like maybe Australia tried to emulate that a little bit. And uh, I'm not I'm not going, we thought of it first. That's not, <laughs> that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> Believe me. But I just mean like, I feel like a lot of British crime films really set the foundation for a lot of films that followed. Um, well, I I'm mean, British that- criminals set the foundations for Australia. <laughs> so <laughs> that would stand to reason. Mic drop. Please don't stop listening. If you're in Australia, we love you. It was a long time ago. We do <laughs> yeah. love you. Um, yeah. And I think, well, also, you know, Tarantino films in the 90s. So it's yeah. on, um, American crime films. They all have their own personality i think mm-hmm. is what i'm trying to say we have a very kind of sarcastic sense of humor here yeah. in england and in in australia it's a bit more of a dark humor but more gritty and more violent maybe as well and in america it's more fast-paced and it's Quippy. a bit cooler you know you've got yeah. samuel jackson doing a monologue <laughs> at you before he gets you in the face <laughs> So it's, it's interesting. You've got all of these kind of distinct sort of traits in the yeah. movies, but I kind of, they're kind of all, they're all crime movies and they're all about bad people. So there is like a, like a, like a through line there for me. Yeah, you know, for sure. Particularly from the nineties in Tarantino, early to mid nineties, and then the late nineties in the UK with your Lockstocks and your Guy Riches, and then things like this, which came later. And you know, what was that, um, 
What's that Heath Ledger movie where he's a, a crime person, not the Joker? <laughs> Two Hands. Two Hands, that's right. That's When did that come on come out? That was... I want to say 98 Oh, that's 90s. Yeah, very late 90s, Right, okay. It was Heath Ledger and Rose Byrne. I love that movie. Mm, yeah. I know you didn't care for it that much, I, but... I thought it was all right. I thought it was fine. I thought it was pretty good. I, unlike Animal Kingdom, I think is a classic, uh, and I think super well made. Two Hands was... Pretty good, fun movie. <laughs> I think someone from... Um, I think Animal Kingdom could have been improved with Brian Brown. Brian Brown being the guy from FX2. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. Is he in... Um, He's I'm in Tom two Cruise. hands. I'm going to make a drink for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mean cocktail? Yeah, that's a terrible movie. <laughs> that's a terrible, terrible movie. <laughs> Yes. Oh, oh, I'd forgotten Brian Brown is in that. He's in that, is he? Yeah. I'd give that another go, you know. On the basis that Brian Brown's in it. Yeah. On the basis of Brian Brown, on the basis of Rose Byrne, on the basis of Keith Ledger. Stop calling him Keith. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I do have one little fact left, Mm. which I thought was quite interesting. Apparently, Animal Kingdom holds the record for the highest number of nominations for a feature film at the Australian Film Institute Awards. Which oh. I guess is their version of like ours would be the BFI. Yeah. Which I think got right. 18 awards. Okay. Or 18 nominations rather. Right, right. So but it was very, very highly regarded in Australia. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And outside of Australia as well. It's just not as widely seen outside of Australia, which is a shame. I don't think I'd heard of this until about four years ago, four four or five years ago when I covered it, as I mentioned earlier, and my friend Nicole, I think, was the person that suggested it to me. Okay. Did you know that David Michaud has not one, but two parents in this movie? Parents? Yeah. His mum and his dad are in this movie. Well, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't think there would be more than two of his parents in it. His mum is in the uh, supermarket bit when Pope and Baz are having a conversation. Okay. Apparently, she gave herself a line. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, my God. And now she's a proper actor. Is she? Yeah. <laughs> That's what you said on the commentary. That tickled me. I love that. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And um, his, Legend. Old, his old man is in it a couple of times as well. His dad's in the background of a couple of scenes. I think... Uh, when Jay is walking through towards the courtroom that we don't actually see. Right, okay. one of the police in the background, I, I believe. Okay. Misho's in it himself as a reporter, apparently. Is he? Yeah. I didn't know that. I must have been doing something while he was talking about that bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. I'm quite keen to check out some more of his work as well. I, I quite enjoyed The Rover. I like kind of dystopian. Did he make The Rover? He did. He directed The Rover. Oh, I don't think I've ever seen that on the basis of I did, just didn't want to be bummed out. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty it's pretty bleak. Is it? But I just love dystopian stuff. So is it more bummer or less bummer than Animal Kingdom? Slightly less. Oh, I was going to say Animal Kingdom's quite bummer, isn't it? So well, yeah, but I don't know. I don't get affected in the same way that you are. I'm just like, right now, what? Yeah, I know. I'm just sitting <laughs> you were like, there just oh, holding my oh. forehead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I believe he co-wrote Hesher as well, which is um, a film with, I want to say Joseph Gordon-Levitt and okay. Rain Wilson were in it. I've only seen it once, but it was interesting. It was interesting. I wouldn't mind watching that again. Okay. Yeah, I've not heard of that. But yeah, we're super interested to see what else he can do. Yeah. I guess that's it. Are we, we're done with Yeah, look, this Animal is- Kingdom, aren't we? This is an- 
a hardcore recommend from me. Oh, so, yeah. I think that much is obvious given how highly we've talked about it. But yeah, just the performances, the direction, as you said, the score, just four thumbs up from us, I reckon. I was going to say two thumbs up. So you doubled my amount of thumbs up. Well, I also have two thumbs. So between us, the, it's a podcast four thumbs. Oh, I see what you're doing there. <laughs> it's a cumulative four. Yeah. You, it's your two plus my two. Yeah. Makes four. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Um, I was just going to do a, a Sesame Street bit there where I was going to pretend to be the Count, but I just, I, I went One. In. I'll spare uh, you. Uh, uh, oh, you're doing it. Aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> I spared you, listener. Sarah is going to do it at you anyway. Shall we announce what we're doing next week? Yeah. So you mentioned that we've predominantly focused on heist movies. So to go in a completely different direction, we're doing a Korean serial killer movie, which is I Saw the Devil. Interesting. I'm stoked. I've never seen this movie. I think you'll enjoy it. Do you? Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> I'm sure I will. If you recommend it, the chances are that I'll enjoy it. Okay. Not always. Yeah. Sometimes we have our differences, but it's quite rare. I would say, yeah. I am excited for this one. Good. I don't know what to expect other than you just saying it's about killing people it's very long is it yeah how long is it mm, i would say close to two and a half hours oh you never mentioned that <laughs> <laughs> you can't back out now we've said it we've said it well like we can because i can just cut this out no and the listener will never be aware and then i'll just cover mr bean too or something no not allowed um johnny english johnny, <laughs> johnny english reborn that is a crime I, there's, there are three of those movies. Holy cow. How are there three movies about Johnny English? And only one Animal Kingdom. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can stay up to date with us on Twitter, Instagram or TikTok at sth underscore pod or support us on Patreon. Everything will be linked in the description.